everyone. We're here with Dr. Manije, our guest. I'm really excited to have you on our show today. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited. Absolutely, absolutely. So I know that perfectionism is something that we all might struggle with a little bit, uh, and most of us don't even know what it is. So I'm so happy that you came to chat with us and teach us more about this topic. Um, I've known Dr. Menige for about eight years, and um, she practices in Woodland Hills, which is really close to me, which is nice. And she just opened her new practice, which I'm super excited to actually go and see uh, during your little open house. So yeah. we could really learn more about all the work that you do and you have been doing and really kind of get people to understand uh, perfectionism and how it shows up in our life and how it affects our life. Yes. So tell us a little bit about yourself. I think you covered all of it, but um, I'm a licensed psychologist in Woodland Hills, and I specialize, one of the things I'm passionate talking about is perfectionism, and it started personally about a decade ago mm -hmm. when I read Dr. Brenda Brown's book, Gifts of Imperfections, and personally, I had my new kind of journey beginning understanding behind my anxiety and the guilt, how much was perfectionism and certain life events that um, played a role in it. And then around that time, you know, we finish our graduate school and we're doing our postdoc hours. And what I start to see over the next few years is how for the clients that come into therapy for anxiety, relationship issues, body image issues, were layers of perfectionism. And to me, that was a shock because, you know, we are trained in diagnosis. Of course, those, those categories and information is important. But I don't remember, even in Dr. Breda Brown's book, not clearly being explained to me, if you're dealing with anxiety, if you're dealing with relationship issues, codependency, if you're dealing with ADHD, mm -hmm. look into perfectionism. Doesn't mean everybody has to have it, but you might want to assess if that's something part of your struggle. And that's when it became a passion of mine. Because as you know, things that we personally relate to comes from a much more meaningful place we're not just sharing information or helping to be helpful. We personally know the struggle. So speaking on perfectionism just became the, you know, the most vulnerable, I think, work I can do as a therapist. Yeah, that's so cool. And I love your videos you make on Instagram as well. You know, they're really actually useful because they're short and they get right to the point and they're funny, yeah. a lot of it. So it's nice. Um, I think we had a little bit of an issue me and Liz when we were in grad school with our perfectionism uh, yeah with our grades do you get a lot of students grad students I honestly see so many different people from walk of life I see young adults absolutely also you know dealing with the social climate and COVID struggling with perfectionism then I see adults in their 30s right like it's like your 20s are behind you and there's this added pressure to like you don't get to mess around anymore. You need to know what you need to, you want to do. You need to, you know, maybe build a family. So there's another layer of perfectionism in 30s and in 40s parenthood. Mm -hmm. So honestly, I see it every mm -hmm. decade of our lives. And I don't just say this again to preach perfectionism, no. but I see it everywhere in so many different walks of life, different age groups for different reasons. And it permeates, I think, people, like all parts of their life. Yes. And one thing that I think about a lot is how social media impacts one's perception of oneself and how that plays into perfectionism. Yes. What do you think about that? So I typically, you know, 
understandably people want to know what are the causes of perfectionism right we want to understand why we develop it and i often i'm going to get your questions so there's a point yeah. to this <laughs> so i often you know encourage people okay go back to your childhood let's start from the first you know uh, stages of your life and then let's go through adolescent college adult relationship friendships romantic partner and so when you're doing that kind of um, assessment and inventory of your life inevitably we will talk about media in inevitably that will be part of it and I think younger generation will have more to say than maybe me because here where I'm gonna give my age away I did not get a cell phone until I started college. I did not have Facebook until I was like end of my um, end of my four year university. So I did not grow up with media. And I came to the states uh, middle of adolescent. I wrote letters. So it's like I might not have a lot to say on how my perfectionism was reinforced by media, but I know that I think generation coming after me does mm -hmm. because they're growing mm -hmm. up with Instagram. And it comes in yeah. so many different ways, right? Our body, our mind, the food we eat, what we yes. drink, how our Instagram looks, um, the grades yeah. that we get for grad students when they're in grad school. There's so many different ways that perfectionism can really show up. Yeah. What do you, when we look at all the symptoms, let's mm -hmm. say the symptomology, what do you feel like you know are the most prominent ones that come up with your patients at least? And you know like, oh, this is perfectionism. So I think couple things the core suffering in in perfectionism is the belief that I am not enough as I am mm -hmm. so that is the core trait of it so of course we want to tailor it to the person in front of us to say maybe somebody's struggling with I am not smart enough and then somebody else I am not interesting enough or somebody else I'm not athletic enough so if you are again in you know high school and in 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 sports that's how it will show up so of course there are certain you know versions of it but when it really comes down to that universally true about perfectionism is the core suffering is i am not enough as i am hmm. and do these i mean i'm thinking you know being a therapist myself these um have been kind of instilled in the person since they were a kid i definitely think that it starts so interesting research is that it starts early as five and six years old. Oh, wow. Yes. And what happens from what we know about research, and this is quite interesting because it's about that age where children start to have capacity, brain capability to compare. So children will be able to say, this is bigger, taller than this one. It's shorter. This is less. Mm -hmm. um, like I see with my daughter, she'll come home and say, well, my you know, classmate got two stickers. I got one. So clearly they're having that capacity to calculate things, mm -hmm. and I'm afraid it's kind of correlated to that. So when we start to have that capacity, then we're obviously social beings. We start to see who gets more hugs, who gets more attention, who is liked, and is there anything I'm doing that causes me not to be liked by my friends? Is there a reason why mom and dad are not happy with me? So I think there's obviously a lot of complexities to why it starts that early, but it starts with feeling less than. So what's the difference between perfectionism and looking at somebody who is competing? Mm -hmm. So the way I wanna talk about that is the common confusion I think there's about perfectionism that it's the mm -hmm. same as doing your best. That's typically the 
argument, not that people argue with me, but that kind of their counter argument when I try to work on perfectionism and encourage them to let it go, mm -hmm. their first defenses is, but it's, you know, it's me just doing my best. Mm -hmm. it, it motivates me. And so I think the best way to separate, you know, healthy goal setting and having a vision for yourself, those are, again, what I aspire to and I encourage people to have versus perfectionism is how we think about and respond to imperfections. Oh, mm. okay. So what okay. happens with a healthy, and I'm, I'm just, again, because I don't like the word normal, so I'm just going to say healthy versus unhealthy here. Healthy pursuit of, again, what Dr. Brenna calls excellence and doing our best is knowing that at some level I am going to make mistakes. No matter how well prepared I am to speak with you guys today and how much I'm enjoying it, I am sure in my soul, I know at this very moment, if I listen to this uh, episode, I will find something I wish I did better. And that doesn't bother me. That doesn't say to me anymore, because in the past it would have bothered me. Mm -hmm. It doesn't say to me, you're not enough. Mm -hmm. But when I was stuck in my perfectionism, every mistake I made, I was guilt driven. How do you get people to overcome that? If that's their schema, right? It's mm -hmm. I'm not enough. Mm -hmm. How do you mitigate that with somebody that you're working with? So there are a lot of tools in our toolbox, right? Like we know that one shoe doesn't fit all and I would never recommend that one tool is going to work for you 24 seven. I wish there was such a miracle or magical you know, pill. But I think to answer your question, I would encourage people to first understand how perfectionism is showing up in their life. To maybe going back to something you were mentioning how it shows up, there are so many different ways it can show up. So I need to know, does it show up in your relationship? Does it show up at work or school? Does it show up in how you pursue hobbies? Is it showing up in parenthood? Because obviously the tools I'm going to offer you is going to be in response to the way it's showing up in your life. So I would first want to understand or make sure the person has done inventory, an honest one, not shortcutting me and not, you know, seeing an Instagram post and saying, well, I got these three symptoms, let's work on it. No, let's really figure out how does it show up? Why is it there to begin with? Let's, you know, have that narrative and then we'll go through the toolbox. Um, maybe based on what I've said so far, clearly one of the foundational thing about overcoming perfectionism is self-compassion because I need to be forgiving and understanding whenever I mess up. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to make have mm -hmm. flaws. Yeah. So I cannot overcome my perfectionism without self-compassion, especially when I have bad parenting moments. It feels crappy. I know That's about that. I literally apologize to my kids when I have ugly mom moments. I'm like, mm -hmm. I'm so sorry. Mm -hmm. Mommy had an ugly mom moment. And I actually think that piece is the most important piece. Yeah. It's not the mess up. It's not the reaction to the mess up. It's how I go and fix the mess up. That's everything. And I find my kids are so forgiving. I'm the one who's hard on myself, right? We're so hard on ourselves when we mess up. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's fixing those mistakes and, and finding mercy and compassion for ourselves along the way. Yes. This is so interesting to also see when, I mean, when we were growing up becoming therapists. Um, I have Hillside. We have trainees there. So I see this often where, you know, everything needs to be perfect and everything needs to be on time and everything needs to be... And I usually kind of had them 
look at their own ego and what's going on within mm -hmm. themselves, mm -hmm. you know? But it's interesting because we don't really, you haven't really touched on that part. What part of the ego does it kind of push or does the ego have anything to do with somebody being a perfectionist? I mean, I'm sure it does. It's like a bruised ego of like, you're yes. not enough. So yes, yes, it definitely does. And to, I guess to practice what I preach, I would go at this compassionately. Because to mm. me, ego is not the enemy. I think we have egos because it wants to protect us from our imperfections. Like ego is like my arrogant, overly confident side that doesn't really know how to tolerate my imperfections. So yes, ego and the perfectionism definitely go hand in hand. Mm. And so compassionately, it's about having that inner dialogue and reminding ourselves that we can be good at things and not good at other things and those yeah. two opposites coexist it's really mm -hmm. just being nicer to ourselves yeah you know um we got a we had a few questions that were sent out to us on instagram um it would be nice to kind of yeah go into it if you so want to. yeah one of the ones that i got is is there a healthy amount of perfectionism so people that exhibit perfectionism right i, I mm -hmm. assume it's on like a paradigm and is there an amount that is actually good for life, striving towards things goal-oriented? You yeah. know, we want to be able to have achievements, mm -hmm. but it, yeah. I think it's about tempering the perfectionism along the way. It's it's how we navigate things, right? So is there an amount of perfectionism that you think is, is healthy? I'm sure there's going to be a different opinions out there, so I can only speak for mine. No, I do not subscribe to the idea that there's good perfectionism. I think what I would encourage people to consider is what will be the opposite of perfectionism, which is the idea of, yes, striving to do our best, having goals, and knowing that along the way, it's kind of who you're becoming when I think you work towards certain things. It's not the end goal. It's not the outcome. So, no, I don't think there is such thing as good perfectionism. I think that's kind of sugarcoating it. When you look at what perfectionism is, um, it's debilitating, self-critical, um, overworking mindset. So. When you first said that, I kind of looked at you like, what are you talking about? There's a healthy amount of it. But then I thought of addiction. Mm -hmm. Like, what's a healthy type of addiction? There you go. Right? Yes. So I was like scrambling in my brain going, what do you mean? There could be a healthy amount of perfectionism. I think it's because we just did an episode on narcissism. And in that episode, yeah. we were discussing how there is healthy narcissism, which, is, which has a negative connotation, right? Mm -hmm. This idea of narcissism is not exactly a positive character trait. But there are certain amounts of narcissism that can be healthy in one's personality. And so we were sort of going back and forth yeah. on that a little bit. Guess, so yeah. what is the counterpoint to perfectionism? Mm -hmm. So there are key words here. One is authenticity. Because perfectionism is one way of living where everything I do, everything I say is perfect. And so opposite of that is authenticity where there's going to be a fluctuation to my mood, to my energy, to my success, to my parenting, ability to parent. And so opposite of perfectionism is having that transparency instead of that kind of like flat um, being, it's one that fluctuates. There's colors to that person. There are 
seasons to that person. Um, along with that opposite of perfectionism is self-acceptance. Because one thing that I'm really passionate about explaining when it comes to perfectionism is, by definition, it's wanting to do things perfectly. But when you start digging deeper, what you see is that in that person struggling with perfectionism, they hate everything about them that's less than perfect. So they have a war within themselves. And when we understand the toxicity of that, there's nothing cute about perfectionism. Inside myself, I hate everything about me that's less than perfect. So do you opposite often, of sorry, perfectionism is self-acceptance. Oh, That's I'm so sorry. Just like, mm. do you often find like a comorbidity amongst you know patients who struggle with perfectionism and have a personality disorder? So the, the typical question I think I get it with OCPD, obsessive yeah. compulsive personality mm -hmm. disorder, that and one, I also and specialize in OCD, so I also get like what's the difference between OCD, OCPD, perfectionism, and I like to just I think because it's as you guys know it's such a separate conversation right like I don't specialize in OCPD so I want to be mindful of that or I don't specialize in narcissism personality disorder so what I can um, I think respectfully say is that yes I think perfectionism can show up in many mental health issues mm -hmm. we want to understand how it may be part of it because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah. I can totally mm -hmm. see and we should say, oh, so OCPD is obsessive compulsive personality disorder. And so that's yeah. totally different than OCD, so which is, it shows up completely different. Yeah, so when we look at OCD, basically the symptomology is slightly different than OCPD, where first of all, OCPD is a personality disorder. OCD is more behaviors, rituals are involved. Um, it includes cleaning, it includes being kind of, you know, counting, cleaning, doing things repetitively. There is also a bit of a component of uh, a fear factor of like religion or something that's gonna, you know, uh, um, my God, what is the name? I'm blanking out here. In religion, if you don't do something, you'll be punished. So if you don't do something in a certain amount of times, you'll be punished. So that's more sort of the of like OCD. Sort of a mystical belief yeah. system. OCPD has an anger management actually attached to it that we've mm -hmm. seen. So there's typically patients that do struggle with obsessive compulsive personality disorder will show up um, in Anita's sessions with anger management uh, because yeah. it's very hard for them to deal with things that are not the way they want them to be. Um, and so they would have anger issues. It really affects their relationships and so forth. So I'm not going to get too deep mm -hmm. into it, but if you, yeah. if you want to kind of see the difference uh, within OCPD and OCD, that's in a nutshell. That's basically what it is with the DSM. Um, it's important to kind of look at this because we want to look at the – we were in our last episode, we were talking about a narcissistic culture that we are kind of – we have fallen into – and I think perfectionism is right along that, you know, right next to that. Mm -hmm. um, but how, you know, when, when we look at it in, in terms of relationships, because so many people are really more into like relationships and how it's showing up as a perfectionist, mm -hmm. how would a person show up in a relationship and what type of issues do they have? So the end goal like we were saying earlier, that perfectionism is, is about pursuit of doing things perfectly. Mm -hmm. So the end goal in relationship is to have that perfect relationship. So what's interesting is, again, we have to be 
curious and open-minded that perfection shows up in so many ways because Mm -hmm. if somebody struggles with perfectionism and they say to themselves okay I want to have a perfect relationship they might actually never date anybody because they are afraid of having that imperfect relationship so they will never get into a relationship and then complete opposite version of it is somebody who is in relationships for too long they are unable to let their relationship end because they think if I just try again tomorrow or next month, I will make this a perfect relationship. So it can really show up wow. as totally like you got somebody who's not dating at all <laughs> uh-huh. and you got somebody who's not leaving a so relationship extremes. or constantly dating. Yeah. Do you find, though, the people in relationships that are waiting for that next best thing, they're mm-hmm. not really reality based? They're sort of dreamers or on another frequency almost. Definitely. And I think that's because perfectionism is unrealistic and when you really look at I I, I wanted to maybe say this too about why there's no such thing as good perfectionism because by definition perfectionism as we do our cognitive therapy and we look at people's belief systems and thoughts they have it's unrealistically high expectations and unattainable traits goals lifestyles like oh i'm gonna wake up 5 a.m every morning not even that i'm gonna wake up at 4 30 and i'm gonna have my green juice and i'm gonna do it 365 days and you know if you can that's wonderful it's like a new year's resolution Uh, that no one follows through on (laughs) yes yes so yes i think perfectionism in in relationships or in your your have my green juice sorry yeah getting up at five in the morning i mean these are sort of it can be hard to keep that going yeah and i don't remember uh this couple but I was approached a few years ago for a, a just for an article that talked about these videos on TikTok at the time. There were these morning routine TikTok videos and how harmful they can be. And that's exactly is that it's a little bit of this kind of delusion that everybody wakes up and makes their bed and stretches and does their gratitude and burn their candles. And again, these are all wonderful coping skills. Sounds I think. about right, though. I mean, that's how I start every morning. Every morning, which every ones morning. Do you do? Yeah, none of it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. There we go. I'm I lucky if up. I can get I like two up. mornings <laughs> out of the week to do all of those things yes. to set the day up correctly. But so here's how I overcome my perfectionism or not yeah. overcome it, but I manage it. And still, obviously, have a loving relationship with myself is I give myself permission to do at least one thing, you know, and I give myself grace if I don't get to any of them. As you guys know, you know, there there are mornings where we wake up much later than we thought we would. So it's, again, letting those moments pass. And it's about celebrating when you're doing one thing instead of five things that you thought you could do. Hmm. So it's really just going on going easy on yourself and realistic I think a term that keeps coming up is being realistic with yourself so what if we have um you know what if there's an individual who tends to be able to be very perfect for a certain amount of time but then can't keep it up after three months now working in addiction we know that typically a relapse happens about three months yeah um and I feel like this has to kind of it goes hand in hand so would you say that the person the type of person who you know, does, is able to really do all that for about three months, but then just can't keep it up after that struggles with the perfectionism. And then when they're not able to follow through with it, they just kind of relapse into their depression or anxiety. Yes, yeah, very much so. Because I think when we, so the cycle of perfectionism starts with having this highly unrealistic expectations of ourselves. But the truth is ultimately we will fall short of them because here's the other thing about perfectionism. It doesn't just say, 
get an A on this, get an A on this test today. Mm-hmm. It says if you were really good, you will replicate it tomorrow. If you were really good, you bet you do better the next day. So mm-hmm. the I know it sounds maybe a little bit of these buzzwords, but it's really true. There's no finish line with perfectionism. Mm-hmm. There really is no end to what I can ask of myself. Do better, be happier, be more energetic. Um, you know, you took your kids somewhere, we'll take them to a better place. Well, if you took it by, by themselves, bring a play date next time. So there's always an expectation. So I say all of that to say you will eventually fall short. And what waits for you is shame. That was my next question to you because I had read Brene Brown's book. And in it, she said, what hides under perfectionism is shame. Mm -hmm. And so I was hoping you could elaborate on that and talk about that a little bit more. I think there is shame because we are at war with ourselves. Mm -hmm. So when things don't go perfectly, we blame ourselves and we think it's our fault. It must be something about me. I must either not be smart enough. I must not be interesting enough. That's why they, that person broke up with me. I must not be competent enough. That imposter syndrome is very common in perfectionism. Uh, the sense of being a fraud. So the shame comes because we think it's our fault. We don't. We cannot comprehend that it's just part of journey and part of life. I know mm-hmm. we logically know this, so I'm right. trying to be careful. No, not emotions to are not people. logical, so <laughs> yes. we, we don't need to worry about logic here. Yes, it's like we know things are not always going <laughs> to work out the way we think, but when it happens, it's hard for us to tolerate. It's hard for us to accept. It seems like under shame, too, is or under that perfectionism where shame lives is also guilt, mm-hmm. self-loathing. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of really hard emotions for people to grapple with. It is. And so I would imagine in working with them, it's to really uncover what's under perfectionism, to tackle those emotions with those hard emotions with people. Definitely. definitely. It seems like it's the, it's the talk that the person has is the belief system of the way they speak to themselves. That's why um, with Dr. Judy Rosenberg, her panel number three talk always goes over you know what people told you and what your beliefs were mm-hmm. of yourself mm-hmm. so your beliefs yeah your beliefs become your truth yes. however this takes it one step further you know it seems like where it not only becomes your truth but you you tell yourself beliefs that are so unrealistic that you're just bound to fail which then puts you in this cycle of almost like self-abuse yes it is it really is mm-hmm. um, abusive, and it's so about the thoughts. That's why I was saying earlier. I think what is true about all people struggling with perfectionism is their core belief that they are not enough as they are, and so I do agree that perfectionism and these high achieving goals for ourselves become a coping skill. Well, we like to call it more like survival skills. Um, But so it becomes an armor, as Dr. Brené Brown, you know, says this idea of, you know, if I just, you know, accomplish this or get this done, it will, you know, make other people think I am good enough or it will finally make me feel like I'm good enough. And as we know, it never can be dependent on external sources. We have to internally kind of um, detox and know that and one of my favorite lines and I share this with all my clients it's from Kristen Neff's book and she says 
feeling worthy is your birthright. So from birth, you have the right and you're deserving of feeling worthy and enough. And that's where I really try to have, you know, meditation and conversations and that inner child work with my clients to really grasp it. Because I have my own understanding of that. And I wish I could just kind of like inject it, so uh, figuratively speaking, inject it onto other people. But I can't. They have their own, you know, they have to process it for themselves. But that's what it really comes down to is knowing that feeling worthy is your birthright. You do not have to do anything. Can I say one more thing? I know I'm keep yeah. talking. Keep no. going. We All love right. it. <laughs> so th- along this, so this is something else I've come to see that I find it really interesting, which is what I call worthiness points. Okay? So you can think of like video games or you can think of the Weight Watchers. Again, it's not a conversation about Weight Watchers, but just imagine anything that we do during the day where we are collecting points. Mm-hmm. I believe when we struggle with our worthiness and we don't think we're worthy and enough and therefore have perfectionistic tendencies we wake up in the morning and we do things perfectly all day long to collect worthiness points to see if I can end the day with 100 points and often you never end with 100 because you expect yourself every hour I like I was supposed to be here early I came here late I would if I were having this uh, tendency I would have not given myself a full credit because I came late to this podcast recording. So you see, I'm already short of 100. And that's assuming I'm going to do the rest of the day perfectly. Mm -hmm. So this is why I will never end the day feeling enough and worthy because I will make mistakes. Hiccups will happen. So that's, again, the life of a perfectionist. And what I encourage my clients to do is flip that around. I say to them, every morning you wake up, before you got anything done, you come to agree and commit to the idea that you're worthy. And then everything you do aligns with that. Because I'm worthy, I am going to, you know, be a good friend and a good parent and come here, still, you know, be here enough to join you guys. So this idea that my worthiness does not depend on what I got done at the end of the day. we got to flip that script around and you start the day believing and this might be something that I'm sure comes up with people where you may not believe it right away. It's going to take a little bit of a practice, but it's a commitment to say yeah. I'm worthy. When yeah. you say that 100 points are starting the day and you're just losing those points along the way, I got stressed out just hearing that yeah. because it's like dangling a carrot and mm-hmm. you're just never going to reach it. And so I imagine when people come into your office, they're so stressed out. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Just hearing that made me stressed. Yes, yes. And, and I think they are feeling defeated. They're genuinely feeling empty inside. Because no matter what they do, they're never feeling enough and worthy. Which goes back to our, obviously, understanding that it will never come from accomplishing the next thing. Mm-hmm. So, God, yeah. I feel like that was me in grad school. And I feel like that was me until about six months ago. <laughs> the perfectionism piece? Yeah. Well, I actually wanted to touch upon this because do you find that women tend to struggle with perfectionism more than mm-hmm. males? What are you saying with the age category? I would say that there are unique triggers to shame in women versus men. Okay. How does it show up for each one? So I think that's a result of society and cultural views. So I think there are 
um, gender roles that are still placed on, on people and, you know, community members. And so it is very much correlated to what are the expectations people may have of you. So if as a woman, there are expectations. I, I still, and look, may, I, I understand if this is not going to relate to everybody, but my observation, there's still more pressure for women to youth, look youthful. I was actually just sharing this on Instagram and Oprah's, um, you know, clip on this idea that women are still, you know, expected to look youthful and age is used against them versus men. That's not the case. It then, seems that way. It seems like men, as they age, they get distinguished, and women, yes. as they age, it's not necessarily as desirable. Yes, and I'm sure, and not to you know make this a popular you know pop culture moment, but there's these jokes that goes around about Leonardo DiCaprio, and oh, she he does not date anybody older than 25. <laughs> I mean, it's funny, but yeah. some days, I mean, maybe it's the you know the therapist in me analyzing a man I've never met, <laughs> but I wonder to myself like. People are saying this about you because this is a fact. And it's so interesting because the human brain, they say, isn't fully developed until you're 30. So he's not with someone who's like, like the personality isn't fully formed till around 30. When I say the human brain, I mean like our personalities and who we are doesn't really solidify and set in until we're around 30 years old. And so it's really interesting that he's dating people that are not fully like... Mm -hmm. They haven't really figured, they've got five more years on them to figure out a lot more things in their lives. So that goes back to, again, what are we shamed for in our culture? And those are the things that I think will trigger your perfectionism. But, okay, so when when we look at this, like, for instance, like the, the example that you just brought up, when we look at age and we look at the whole perfectionism and we look at, you know, the gender roles and stuff, I mean, we can go talk about Leonardo DiCaprio like all day. However, because I... He's so fun to talk about. He's so cute and talented. I want to say that. I don't find him cute. He's so... I don't think he's cute at all, actually. I think people think I'm crazy when I say that, but he's just not... He's not my type. (laughs) <laughs> but random story, and I'll keep this short. I was told when you're pregnant, you will have like really random dreams. And I had a dream towards the end of my pregnancy that I was doing group therapy session with him. Oh, <laughs> no way. On perfectionism? Yes. No, no, not at the time. No, but yes, um, who knows? Maybe I would do some mental health movement with him one day. He was like a um, permanent fixture for me growing up. I mean, right? watching Romeo and Juliet and Titanic. I mean, he's just like, yes. oh, yeah, yeah that's he's right. just always was there. Up, he was the. The main, um, the main, the main, squeeze. the main squeeze. Um, this is so interesting. And I always like to bring everything back to relationships because yes. it is one of the components that gets affected so much. It's, it's the major component that people come into therapy for, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. they, they will come into therapy going, my relationship's falling apart because of this, or I can't be, I can't get into a relationship because of this or this and this. Mm-hmm. So let's say someone's dating. Okay my favorite topic of all time now and you go on a date what are some red flags that someone might be a perfectionist oh that's a good question what might be a red flag a quick I think giveaway is rigidity so people with perfectionism are very rigid like I was saying earlier because of that rigid rules so again it's not just that their expectations are high and unrealistic and unattainable there's also that rigidity where it has to be like that all the time. There's no room for once, you know, like you don't get a pass. So I would say that if you're dating somebody on a first date, which feels like a lot of pressure to 
find the perfectionism on just on the first day. But if you're dating somebody, I will look for that rigidity. I will look for, you know, how, um, and this is, I know, it can be confusing because we also want people to be consistent, right? There's also that red flag of like, oh, they're so wishy-washy, they're not consistent. But I think you could tell the rigidity in the choices that um, that they are making. And you could also maybe look at the way people are sharing about their visions. Because I think that really goes back to what we were talking earlier on how can you tell the difference between perfectionism and healthy pursuit of goals and desires and excellence is, you know, ask them about their goals. Ask them, I'm sure as it comes up in a conversation, when you listen to somebody talking about their plans, how are they coming across? Are they appearing, like even in the way they speak, are they are they speaking from a place of being calm and peaceful about it? Or are they, you know, having that sense of like, it needs to get done. My life will be over if I don't finish this program. Like that mm-hmm. kind of like, mm-hmm. like an life angst. or death. Yeah. Seems like that. Yeah. They're so there's stressed. Yes. You know, I've actually seen this and I don't want to, well, there is no diagnosis for perfectionism, but I, I don't want to uh, label it with a diagnosis. But I work with a lot of moms, as you mm-hmm. know, and I see this often where, you know, and I have to kind of remind them where it's okay if the house isn't clean when the baby's sleeping you don't have to do your workout class clean the house cook and the 12 different chores that you need to do Mm -hmm. during the half an hour period that your child is sleeping so what are some things that might lead someone to develop this type of you know personality trait you know these traits and and i absolutely understand how it could be um uh, a survival mechanism i mean you know i i think that even those of us who go through relationship issues we try to make things perfect in the outside you know mm-hmm. our home clean cook like do things so we feel productive because our relationship might not be perfect um so that might be one you know a relationship that's falling apart a second would be becoming a new mother or mm-hmm. parent what are some other things you see that might trigger that type of um personality uh, issues one thing I know is that perfectionism latches onto things that you value. So it will show up for things that you really care about. Mm. You know, and and another reason of that is we falsely believe that things have to be done well in order for them to be meaningful. So mm. so it's a combination of those things where again my perfectionism will latch onto things I value because it knows I care too much about it. And then I also have a, a, again, I've been taught or I've seen it or I've developed it myself, this idea that it needs to be done well if it's going to be meaningful. And so it creates this pressure to do it perfectly. And the other thing I think that we didn't talk about, you know, how we said shame is a big part of this conversation. I feel like another key word that is a huge part of this conversation is belonging. I want to be loved. I want to be accepted. I want my child to, if we're speaking of parenting, I want my child to love me, not in a obviously, you know, unhealthy way, in the most pure way. I want that bond. I want that connection. So I want to make sure that they feel well taken care of by me. 
I think same goes for our friends, same goes for our relationships. And again, none of these are wrong. None of these are bad. I think we want to slow down and be aware of those needs which are necessary for our survival. We need to care about each other. And um, I often call my, like I tell my clients, like the comparison trap is a side effect of have, you know, being wired for social connection. So when I care about other people, I'm also going to care what they think about me. I just want to do it in limits where I can also comprehend and accept that I cannot control what everybody thinks about me and not everybody's going to think positively of me and not everybody's going to like what I have to say about perfectionism. Mm -hmm. And I don't have to say it perfectly. I can surrender. That's Mm -hmm. interesting because we're talking about perfectionism and doing. But I have also, I can see this happening where, and you kind of mentioned it, where someone is such a perfectionist Mm -hmm. that they don't even start what they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. because they need to start it at the perfect time in yeah. the perfect mindset with the um, cer- perfect amount of money or the perfect amount of you know resources so they never actually even are able to begin something that they they need to do because they're such a perfectionist yes and so the best the way extreme. that i can explain that is um i use the terms high functioning versus low functioning perfectionist so high functioning perfectionist is our um our typical understanding of perfectionism. Those are your type A people who are overachievers, overdoers, very detail-oriented, high-achieving people. So look <laughs> none at of us here. Those people. None of us right? here. Nobody in this not. room is. Yes. Nobody in this room. So those are your high-functioning high, uh, high perfectionists. And then there is the complete opposite, low-functioning perfectionists. And what I also feel excited about in therapy is a lot of people don't know low low functioning perfectionism and when I tell them you're struggling with perfectionism they're like no not me I can't even know what I'm going to cook for dinner tonight so low functioning perfectionists are the procrastinators those are the ones who are indecisive those are the ones that delay tasks Mm. those are the ones that are always followers and the reason is not because they're not capable or smart enough they they're too afraid that if the outcome turns out perfectly it's going to be their fault so I'd rather have you be the leader and I'll be your follower so that if it doesn't turn out perfect, you can take the blame. And again, mm-hmm. because yeah. I cannot tolerate imperfections, not because I'm trying to throw you under the bus. It's because my own lack of tolerance for imperfections, I will never sign up for anything. Again, procrastinate, um, indecision, slow to start things or cannot keep things up. It's interesting you say indecision because I know so many people who have what I call decision paralysis. It's like they have to make a a decision on something and they just can't do it. It's this it's this execute button that they can't push. We see this. And and so I, I always wondered, like, where did that come from? This inability to make a decision. Yep. And it sounds like the opposite of that is like the perfectionism. Yes. And here's the other example. This is going to sound a little different because in relationships, another trait that I've seen in some of my clients with perfectionism is that they have a really hard time apologizing. Mm-hmm. And I know it can come across quite arrogant, uh, inconsiderate, not to give an apology where it's due. But when you start to break it down, you realize a person is really struggling executing or struggling apologizing because they're really ashamed that an imperfection happened. Like, I made a mistake towards you. I'm so embarrassed by it. It shows my true colors, which is that I'm unworthy of your friendship. So I have a really hard time apologizing to you. And you over there think, what a, you know, arrogant person I'm dealing with. They can't even say I'm sorry. 
But when you ask them, there's so much behind behind the curtain. And that's the same thing, I think, with people who can, ex- uh, can um, take action. They're not lazy. They are not, um, you know, uninterested in the world. They actually have a lot of conversations in their head of how things should be that it's para- paralyzing. So I, su- I mm-hmm. see a lot of that analysis paralysis with my clients. This just shows us to really remember to step back and stop labeling people narcissists and OCD and bipolar and borderline and really understand that they can just simply be struggling with an internal uh, war within themselves that they're not good enough and they don't know how to be good enough not only for other people but for themselves which is a very it's it's sad and it's there's excruciating pain behind that um, yeah. And I think that's that's such an important thing to really consider that we don't know. And I think it was really hard for me. And I realize I think in our current um, current state of things, you have to be vulnerable. You know, you cannot like you cannot give a message without being vulnerable. So I had to talk more about my perfectionism and. I was afraid that I was going to get judged. Oh, really? Your problem is you do things perfectly and your problem is you always get A. That's what you're really going to cry about. But the reality is underneath it, it's very debilitating. So I'm not just sharing struggles with getting A's, which seems like such a first world problem. I'm trying to talk about the shame behind it and lack of self-love you might be dealing with when you're struggling with perfectionism or wanting to do things perfectly which then goes back to maybe as young as you know children we really need to stop rewarding perfect results really yeah tell us more about that i'm a very i like competition and all that stuff so um, i mean i don't have kids but i'm pretty sure if i raise my kids they would be competing like no other so tell me why so i i i I don't think i can take credit for this uh and i'm not just being humble because i really think it was her teacher too my daughter has come up with this thing in the past few months where she says perfect is not a word interesting yeah and i'm kind of guilty to say oh that looks great that looks perfect and then she's like perfect is not a word so I think that I like to be cautious around rewarding perfectionism is because it could really create an unnecessary preference around the result. And I know this sounds maybe too cliche, but I think the answer is, again, what was the process like? Mm-hmm. Great, you got the A. Great, you got the trophy. But what was the process like? Did you learn something about yourself? And what I've also realized in the last few years, and I shared this with the dinner we had last week, mm-hmm. it's really who I am becoming. You know, maybe this whole, you know, perfectionism and uh, not to be self-marketing, but I have a digital course that, let's say, fails one day, doesn't go anywhere. I'm left with who I became while I was trying to pursue those goals. You know, who I had to become to sit here with you guys confidently and speak for an hour. And that's more rewarding to me than how perfectly this episode will turn out. Mm-hmm. That's a good way of looking at it, yeah. I think, you know, the journey yeah. rather than the, the, um, outcome. the outcome of it. 
Because、yeah. um, how many tests did we take、oh, in college that I got an A and I don't remember anything? Oh, from I didn't it. even care. It was an, it was expected. You get an A. There's nothing.、Yeah. There's did you gain、anything. insight? Did you gain knowledge? Did you you know like?、Uh, that's mean, actually a really good point. That, That's a that's that's a good question that you're asking. Yeah, because there was no、uh, alternative for me. I got an A. I got my doctorate degree, and、yeah. you succeed. There's no other option. There's no Plan B, and that's the way I was raised. There's no Plan B. There's no such thing、and、as a Plan、no、B. And there's no B. No Plan B and no B. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but but I like、um. it. I like it for myself. I mean, I see where it has caused tremendous amount of stress in my life. Uh, especially as an adult, that's why I said only for the past six months I've just learned to let go. So I think underneath it all, it was really much more of the control, not so much of my self-esteem. I know who I am, and I,、mm-hmm. I think I'm a, you know, you know, I don't have like a grandiose self-esteem, but like I, I don't. It didn't affect my self-esteem. It affected my stress levels, and it affected that. Component of like you know how productive I am. I got a、um, lot of questions on social media usage, and it's a topic that I really want to talk about because I didn't grow up with it. None of us grew up in that era, and、yeah. now we're witnessing you know teenagers who are having really high suicide rates,、yeah. and we have to wonder what's going on. Is this attributed to social media usage? And if so, what components of social media?、Uh, Is is factoring into that,、mm-hmm. and I think a big thing that I'm no, I just saw this video the other day, right?、Um, it was Bethany Frankel, and she had this filter that she put on her face, and she's like, I don't look like this. She switched back and forth, and she's like, if I sat in a makeup chair for an hour with the best makeup artist in the world, I wouldn't look like this filter, and this is how I really look. And she said, we're damaging the youth of today by creating these unrealistic beauty standards. And I, I recognize, you know, at 16 years old, the insecurities are there; they're not fully matured, and you have to wonder how this is impacting self-esteem, and all of these things, because that is perfectionism, right? If there's a perfect filter out there to make you look perfect, and you don't look perfect in real life because nobody does,、mm-hmm. uh, what message are we sending to people? That perfectionism is rewarded. Perfectionism is preferred. So look perfect, sound perfect, smile perfectly. So I think that is the message. Absolutely, that's the message. As you're talking, I'm getting anxiety. <laughs> What? Why? Because I feel like people should not look perfect. There's no such thing、mm-hmm. as perfect. I don't think there's perfect. But I think, okay, the way I see it is people should be put together. People,、mm-hmm. but not a ten-year-old. You know what I mean. I think what the problem that we're having is that the age of student,、uh, age of patients who are coming into our offices and struggling with the looks, you know, versus other things. But、mm-hmm. I don't know. For some reason, I'm just like, well, I yeah, think what came up to- for me, of course, the age is a, such a specific factor, right?、Mm-hmm. I think、yeah. we as can all attest to like this is a completely different conversation if we're talking about a sixteen-year-old versus ten-year-old. So I want to be very mindful of that, but. What you just said right now, being put together,、mm-hmm. which maybe goes back to I think another、um, maybe criticism women get for looking fashionable, and which is, you know, oh she wants attention, or oh she's doing that to you know get attention or get the guy. So I think what I would ask people is, if you're doing X, is that for you, or is there another again? 
external validation because if you know it's again authenticity was my choice of word for this reason because I do have a group practice in Woodland Hills and I'm here to promote perfectionism. So quite clearly, I have goals for myself. So it's not that I, um, I'm i gonna let go of goals and I always tell my clients, this is not about letting go of goals because that's another counter argument I get from people that, oh, I'm gonna be mediocre. If I'm not perfect, I'm mediocre. If I'm not perfect, then I have no rules, no standards, no expectations. And I was like, nope, that's black or white thinking. You don't go from this to the other end of the spectrum. So going back to your comment about, you know, maybe, you know, getting your hair done a certain way or eating at a specific restaurant because they make the most delicious food. Mm -hmm. Is it because those are the things you enjoy and they, it's, it's, it kind of gives you energy and life? Or am I doing it because I, I need belonging? I don't want to get rejected. So my hair needs to look perfect and I need to go all the cool restaurants and share it on social media so that people think I am interesting enough to be around. They would want to hang out with me as a friend. Maybe somebody wants to flirt with me, you know, if you're single. So again, then you, you, we have to ask ourselves, and I'm sure we do this in therapy with our clients, what's, what's the agenda behind it? Okay, fine. Set that goal. You want to be a lawyer? Great. But what's the agenda behind it? Just so you know, when you're a lawyer and when you're a psychologist, you don't just magically like yourself. Yeah. That's such an amazing way you just explained that. That's perfect. Thank you. Uh, do we have any last-minute questions we wanted to go over? I mean, there's so many, but let's pick one. Okay, so somebody asked, where does perfectionism come from? I think we touched upon that, that a lot of it has to do with parenting. Uh, but the they elaborated and said, is it biology or environment? So Are people born nature perfectionist? Nurture. Is there a genetic predisposition to becoming a perfectionist? Or is that really just the environment that breeds perfectionism that leads one to become a perfectionist? Definitely more environment than biological, but I would say that biology could play a role because we know this with other mental health issues. Some people are emotionally more sensitive, right? We know that some people's like um, emotional uh, sensitivity or levels of anxiety, like for example, with OCD, there's a biological factor to that. So, or with addiction as well. So depending on, there could be biology to those mental health issues but perfectionism which is like you said earlier which I'm glad you mentioned it's not a diagnosis we don't diagnose people with perfectionism I would definitely say it's a combination of environment but I guess specifically about those social relationships in the environment because I I think I have to come back to here for need for belonging mm -hmm. right and if I don't think I'm enough as I am and that you're going to reject me then I will lean into perfectionism and be the perfect daughter, be the perfect friend, be the perfect um, influencer on Instagram so as to get a sense of belonging. So for that reason, I would say it's definitely more env environmental in the sense that it's social relationships. Which is never enough. And if a person never feels like they are not enough, eventually that could really, that's a potential crisis and suicide, yes. Yes. which is actually very scary and sad the world becomes a very unsafe place yeah yeah thank you dr manager we really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule and coming out